Hey listeners, I'm excited to announce the For the Love of Winter podcast from Banff Sunshine Village, hosted by this week's guest, Kendra Skirfield. Please pause the show and go subscribe to Flow Podcast SSV on Instagram, watch it on YouTube, or listen wherever you download your audio. The Effenrad Snowboard Podcast is presented by Skyview Campers. This game-changing tiny home camper is built by Never Summer in Denver, Colorado. Inspired by Frank Lloyd Wright's architecture, these 12-foot lightweight campers at just 1,500 pounds are a masterpiece in design. Enjoy sleeping like royalty under the stars on a true queen-size mattress with a moonroof in your secure home-like bedroom surrounded by ample ventilation and shades for privacy. Stay cozy with a propane heating system and enjoy well-lit interiors powered by rooftop solar panels. And when it's time to cook, ingenious exterior countertops include a sink and a double burner stove, all under a giant batwing awning. Skyview Campers, redefining adventure. Visit skyviewcampers.com to start your journey today. Wired Snowboard Season 7 is now live please go to wiredsnowboards.com and ask for Wired Snowboards at your local specialty snowboard shop. The Boardroom Snowboard Shop, Vancouver's premier snowboard shop, offers the right snowboards and related product at the right price with the best service. The Boardroom, providing the best possible product for your personal performance needs. Rip Curl Outerwear is packed with functionality, Ridden by superstars Chris Rasman and DCP, Rip Curl Outerwear is designed to keep you warm, dry, and comfortable. A certified B corporation, Rip Curl is all about the search. Fixed bindings are tool-free, simplistic bindings that focus on dependability and strength while providing ease of adjustability. So durable that they have a 100% lifetime warranty on buckles and base trays. Fix, snowboard bindings built better. This real estate secret could save you thousands. You get the best real estate agent working for you, and we put your money back in your pocket. In over 30 countries, Find an Epic Agent makes it cheaper to buy or sell a home. That's why it pays to click findanepicagent.com before contacting a realtor. Beneath outerwear and base layers will keep you comfortable during full days of being active, on the mountain, or in the office. Go to beneath.com. Life begins with what's beneath. 1910 is the collaborative works of Jamie Lynn and Scofe. Based on a longtime friendship, steeped in snowboarding and art culture, get your 1910 goods at 1910.com. New Greens by Pure Prescriptions, the superfood greens drink source from North American Farms. Go to newgreens.com and get their carefully crafted superfood drink for an on-the-go nutrient boost. The Pro Standard GoPro mounts and accessories feature an unmatched multi-functionality and attention to detail that enable you to get more creative with your GoPro while carrying less. Grouse Mountain has built its reputation as the place where Vancouver goes to snowboard by consistently supporting the snowboarding community for over 30 years. With this season's focus on mental wellness, Effenrad is proud to partner with The Haven, established in 1983 the Haven is a not-for-profit center for transformational learning on beautiful Gabriola Island. The Haven offers experientially-based programs 
devoted to understanding ourselves and others and creating a life you want. For 10% off their Come Alive program, the introductory program I'm attending in October and highly recommend, please enter code FNRAD10 at checkout. As a kid in Northern Ontario, scouring my surroundings for anything snowboarding, I found rap films into the Snow Zone ski movie at a Bandito video rental place near my house. Into the Snow Zone had a huge Banff section that to me in Sudbury looked like the best place in the world to ride. Around that time, Ken Ock and the Calgary Snowboard Shop crew migrated to Whistler, building on their Banff-based legacy documented in videos and magazines. Those early days in Alberta were made possible in no small part due to the family of this week's guest, Kendra Skirfield. I first met Kendra as a contact for accommodation during Holy Bully. I scored a room on hill at Sunshine Village Lodge through Kendra and was instantly indebted to her generosity. Kendra grew up at Sunshine Village and her love for the snowboard community runs deep. An accomplished snowboarder herself, Kendra never lost sight of what it means to a snowboarder to have a resort that genuinely cares about their experience. So often the old guard harbors some resentment towards the snowboard community that was founded in the conflict brought on by a mass of skateboarding-oriented youths invading the slopes with attitude and recklessness. But that's just not how the Skirfields set up sunshine. Working with Ken Ock, Sunshine hosted the Worlds in 1986, attracting a ton of amazing competitors, including Craig. And Kendra grew up in the aftermath of Sunshine accepting snowboarding early, and she's built on that strong relationship, eventually becoming the director of marketing. And that's epic for everyone. There's a different feeling at Sunshine Village because Kendra is one of us. So when she decided to start up her own podcast for Sunshine Village, I jumped at the opportunity to set it up with her. So pause the show and go subscribe to For the Love of Winter, the Sunshine Village podcast, available wherever you download your audio and on YouTube in video format. And now enjoy this fun conversation with one of the most passionate mountain marketing directors ever, Kendra Skirfield. Perfect. Cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. All right. So what did you have for breakfast today? I had a protein bite and a nut milk latte from Monogram Coffee because I drink a lot of coffee. Nice. I think coffee should be given through IV some mornings. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do coffee. No? I mean, I do. Sometimes I do coffee. Um, but, and then I get hooked on it, then I can't not do it. So right now I've been off coffee for about a month. And how do you feel? Really good it, because of new greens. So this is a, this is a shameless product placement. <laughs> I've got this guy, Dr. Devin Ryerson. Uh, he's a old school snowboarder who came up with like Chris Roach and Tina Basich out of the grass Valley. And right now he does pure prescription. Pure Prescriptions is the name of the company. Oh, is that mine? You hear that yeah. squeaky? All right. We want to minimize the squeaky. <laughs> um, and he does this thing called New Greens. So it's like I use it as a breakfast drink, 
And when I have that, I feel like I've got energy for the whole day. Oh. It's like 50 different vegetables and fruits that are freeze-dried, and they, it tastes really amazing. I want to try it. Yeah, it's like, um, there's one that's really famous, like Nutri-Greens, I forget. Okay. But, it, but it's like it's just like a breakfast drink that I do, and it got me off coffee. <laughs> Most people don't want to be off coffee. That's I don't think, perfect. I don't think I want to be off coffee. I think I like coffee. It's amazing. It It gives you, like, clarity, mental focus, like... I had this cold brew that was like lemonade cold brew. And the, it was weird. It was good. It was weird. It, first sip, it was like all you tasted was the coffee. And then the second sip, the coffee flavor vanished and all you tasted was lemonade. I'm like, this is... That doesn't make sense to me. No. Coffee lemonade? Yeah. Cold the, brew, cold brew lime or cold brew lemonade or something. It that, was... That's amazing. It was... Yeah. People, people do their morning ritual... Like, I totally get it. Whenever I watch comedians in cars getting coffee, when they show the coffee machines, no matter what time of night it is, I'm like, oh, I want a coffee right now so badly. Yeah. It's like smoking or something. Yeah. Like the imagery of it is so like powerful. powerful. And, and it is an addictive, yeah, we don't need to get into addictive no. drugs. <laughs> no, I, I do think that's fascinating. Like, I'm not a smoker, but I right. do think that like image of an old school vintage man mm -hmm. or woman, cigarette in hand and black and white photo. There's just something so captivating about it. They marketed to us, to our generation, smoking was cool. That's just, I mean, it is an implicit bias that I don't Nine out of 10 ever. doctors smoke Marlboros. <laughs> Which is insane, right? <laughs> it's nuts. It's not as cool to vape. I think it's. I think it's fair to say when you see somebody kind of, and then the big weird puff cloud. No, just doesn't look as cool. Now go back and play your video games. Right, right. Go inside. And and smoking has become, like when you see people doing it, you're like, ew. Yeah. Yeah. It, like, how crazy is it that it's changed that much? Was there ever smoking at, at Sunshine? Were you allowed to smoke on the lifts back in the day? Probably. Probably. Yeah. No, we went smoke-free um, really during the pandemic. We went smoke-free. In my lifetime, I've never been of legal age when you can smoke inside Alberta unless there was smoking rooms at some places. Right. So smoking inside was, well, it was killed off. Yeah. yeah. Thank God. Thank God. Because it was really disgusting. I remember being a kid and going to a restaurant and There's smoking smoke. section or non. Right. It, well, that means the whole restaurant smells like smoke. Right. Right. Like a bus. When I was a kid, city buses had ashtrays. You could smoke on city on buses? On a city bus. Gross. Isn't that insane? Like you just on <laughs> a city bus and people are smoking. It was nuts. Everywhere. Like that was how I got... Um hooked on it was that my dad smoked inside the car so like and it's freezing cold windows are up the whole family's just hot boxing Ugh. cigarettes in a car it was so bad but uh <laughs> luckily i i was able to um just stop smoking I, I tried to quit for a really long time and then just all of a sudden i just stopped which is so nice and I don't crave it anymore. I used to crave it a lot when I drank. <laughs> and now it's not. And I don't drink very much. So that's good. But uh, yeah. So <laughs> that's what an interesting conversation. What a way to start. You 
are the daughter of, like, the Scurfield family, did they start? No, we bought Sunshine, Sunshine? in 1981. And okay. my grandfather was um, looking for ways to diversify his company and his holdings. And What was his company? He, like, had what a, did he, do? he was a home builder. So he was a developer, and he had a company called New West Homes. And he was, at one point, the second biggest home builder in North America. Oh, wow. And he was... He was a pretty, he was a pretty big badass. He did you bring, know him? No, he passed away before I was born. So he passed away at fifty-seven. He died in a heli ski incident in nineteen eighty-five. No way! Wow, what? That's incredible. That's nuts. Yeah. Sorry for your loss. I mean, that's that's very young. Very young. Very young. I I think about it. I'm a, I'm in my mid thirties, mm-hmm. and. Uh, by the time my parents were my age, both of them have lost a parent. And I think how lucky I am to still wow. have both my mom and my dad. Yeah. Yeah. So at the time that your grandfather passes away, does your dad take over the business? So or? my dad was pretty young. He was like 28 when my grandfather passed away. And Sunshine was originally divided between the seven siblings. He is the eldest of seven. And so he went and he kind of bought the company from his brothers and sisters and he became the he became the major shareholder of the company and he's really developed it from a small family mountain to the world class destination it is and Rad. I'm really proud with what he's done. Yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine what was it like in the eighties, like what would have before he developed it, what what chairlifts were there? Uh, before, when I was a kid, almost everything was old. So almost every lift has been replaced. Goat's Eye wasn't around. Um, Wolverine wasn't around. Mm. There was still the ski out. We had the old gondola that was much slower and only a six pack. And he has really worked to modernize all the lifts. So he was instrumental in making high speed lifts the commonplace here in Canada, also improving the guest experience, developing some terrain parks, um, creating new terrain for people to ride, and, of course, bringing big mountain skiing with Goat's Eye Express. So was he integral in the early adoption of snowboarding? He was. He was. So actually, Sunshine was the first resort in Canada to allow snowboarders. And I believe it was 1985 that we first allowed them or they started showing up. And I remember my dad told me a story once. He's like, yeah, kids came with these boards. And we're like, I don't know. Like, I think they can ride them. Why don't we just make sure it's safe and they prove that they can stop and then we'll give them a license to shred. Amazing. So they had to do like this little... The little card. The little card. Right, right. It was laminated. You put it in your pocket. It sounds like your dad's a pretty dope guy. He is. He yeah. is super cool. Like open-minded and like, yeah, sure. I, I see this. By 85... See, in 1985, not a lot of boards are ready for a resort. No. You don't have proper boots. The straps are popping open. People are flying all over the place and <laughs> having a hard time stopping. Uh, yeah, did he? Was there ever a time where, obviously not, where he regretted that he had 
It just would have been so exciting. Maybe he regretted it when I decided that I didn't like skiing and only wanted to <laughs> snowboard. Then he's like, "Fuck, was he, I do this?" Was he pretty serious about like getting you in ski school and you becoming like a ski racer or anything like that? I think that was the norm for kids my age and what you did. Snowboarding yeah. wasn't really a big thing. And growing up in Banff, yeah, I, d- I don't remember learning to ski. I just remember always knowing how to ski. Wow, really? I I remember being two and holding on to the the rope toe, and that was the hardest part. And please, please. Oh. I remember being like three, and I didn't like the run that my instructor did. So I'm like, okay, bye. I'm going to do this run instead. At three years old. And I would just, just go kind of like... It was my playground. I I knew how to do it, and I was going to do it my way. So that's amazing. Yeah, I don't really remember learning to ski; just always knowing how to do it. And I did ski racing. I started with the Sunshine Ski Club as a five year old, and worked my way up. Didn't love ski racing. Yeah, you need a me. certain kind of personality to be driven to try and beat other people. Yeah. Right? I, not I really just like that. free skiing, so yeah. yeah. I didn't like gates. Yeah. And did you explore the mountain? Did you like powder early on as a as I a loved kid? powder. I <laughs> loved bumps. I loved tree runs. I loved going fast. I loved the adventures. And like, I used to pretend that there were monsters and <laughs> giants that lived in the mountains. I had this one instructor who told me, if you look at Delirium Dive, you can see a face and he, she said that it was a giant, and the giant liked to eat peanut butter and jam sandwiches. So, up until I was like twelve, I used to when I skated on my skis, I would like spread the peanut butter, spread the jam, spread the peanut butter, spread the jam. <laughs> and the mountain to me was just such a magical forest. It was enchanted. It was my bridge to Terabithia. That's so sick. That's so sick. And with your dad operating this place he was like a gm or yeah he was the he was he is the ceo yeah and he was the gm of the mountain when i was younger so i would imagine that the mountain was a bit of a babysitter too right because he's going to be busy as hell all day long yes definitely so the mountain was really my playground yeah in vancouver we've got grouse i worked at grouse yeah yeah so like you know how you do the gondola so people will put their kids on the gondola and then just be like, see you later. Bye. Because where's the kid going to go? I mean, aside from out of bounds and getting in trouble, which doesn't happen at Grouse, actually. It's it's a really contained mountain. But um, it, that's the only other mountain like that that I've ever been to is Sunshine, where it, really you could drop your kid off and just say, like, keep skiing until, and then come down in here and meet me at 4 p.m. or whatever. Definitely, yeah. you can. And yeah. everything what else is great about Sunshine is even if you go up and you want to ride different terrain, everything kind of funnels to either the village or to the parking lot. You're not yeah. worried about ending up in some foreign location. It's huge. Like, do you know it like the back of your hand? Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's massive. I've been here three times and I... Still haven't explored the whole thing. I've probably only taken like four of the lifts. Well, the mountain view is like how pristine and dramatic the Canadian Rockies are around it. It makes you feel like you're kind of in an island in a sky in another world. It reminds me of those 80s ski movies where they would go on big destinations. And a big part of them was filmed here. (laughs) Because you get the backdrops. 
and you it's like the Canadian Alps or something. It's really so beautiful. It's um you can see why William Van Horn, the president of the CP Railroad, when he came to Banff, he said, if I can't export the scenery, I must import the tourists. <laughs> really? Yeah. That was the deal? That totally makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. You, <clears throat> I'm, I've been here. The first time I was here, Terrier and Nicholas Mueller were riding, and I got to ride with those guys. Oh, cool. Which was insane. Talk about, Did like, celebrities. Up? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Barely. <laughs> I wasn't doing the tricks they were doing. I, I, My trick is I pull my phone out and then I'm filming. Like, hey, I'll film you guys. And they were just blasting and having so much fun. And the weather was good. Every time I've been here, the weather's been good. I'm from like just fog, right? Like rain sometimes, fog, deep snow, but zero sun. Like for three months straight, no sun. And this place was just every time, like just perfect snow and good mountains. Yeah. So what a great place to to grow up. At what point do you become a snowboarder? Like what's the first board you try? The first board I tried was an old Osen, and it was from our rental shop. So it was really (laughs) technical and a great board. Probably rode more like a tank than what I... They were built in Canada, those. They, they're good boards. They were it fine. Had clip and bindings. And- oh, step on. So, yeah. so you had um, clickers or was it something with the maybe Rosies? It, no, it with was. With the pin? It had a pin in it. Yeah. I think they were the Osin ones. And- oh, right. Osin had their own. Everybody had their own step ins. Yeah. That was my first. And then uh, my brother got a jp walker forum board wow and then i kind of stole that and (laughs) wrote it and and then did that influence you like the forum jp walker like rails and like freestyle kind of imagery like having that did you kind of yeah i would say like teratakitas definitely was an influence and showing that you could still be a girly girl and she's not really that girly but yeah, she was a badass. But she was also a girl. Like, she was a chick. She was proud to be a chick. Totally. I think she kind of more so influenced. That's very cool. Yeah, just pull that mic here a little. Yeah, like that. That's perfect. And when <clears> she <throat> had her pro model board and it was like the, the bright pink forum yeah. genius, that, yes. that was one of my earliest favorite boards. That's something I've learned through through the show is that you want to see yourself reflected in the community, Mm -hmm. right? Like, so people like Tara um, had huge followings because every little girl that was snowboarding was like... She's cool. She was so cool. She carried herself so cool. She rode the big jumps with the the boys and she was as good or better than a lot of them, which was still... Yeah. She was... I don't want to say the first superstar because there was a lot of women before her... Um, but she, she came up and was really just like, unapologetically like her. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. She was badass. She wasn't trying to be like overly tough or masculine either. She was no. just. Yeah. There was a lot of like, cause she was riding for Billabong. Yeah. She, like you say, her board was bright pink. She was like. She owned yeah. herself. Yeah. And I think that's cool. Yeah. I think sometimes we all get in this 
we all get this preconceived notion and conception that we have to present a certain way to mm. make it. We have to get a certain haircut. We have to yeah. pretend we don't feel pain, pretend that we have no emotion. And right. really, we're not we're not carbon copies of one another. And I think you need to be yourself. It's tough, that age. I've, my kids are going through it now. Um, How old are they? They're 20 and 24. So I've just watched them go through... You know, that last awkward push through teens and into your early 20s where, yeah, image is important, especially nowadays with social media, mm-hmm. you know, and filters and the whole thing. Um, but I, they navigated it wonderfully. I'm proud of both the kids. They, they've, they've done it. So you can do it. And I think the philosophy that you're talking about right now, where it's like, I'm not going to be a cookie cutter person i'm not going to be doing this for someone else i'm going to be who i really am i can imagine you had that because you got to express yourself all those years on the mountain yeah however you want it from when you're three years old going nope i'm going over here yeah yeah that's cool how did how did snowboarding um you know like guide you in in that direction i think snowboarding was definitely an escape for me and it was a chance to just play and be free. And it's funny. I, I feel so much more invincible when I have my snowboard gear on, no matter how yeah. outlandish and bright this past winter, I rocked a very awesome full suit of hot pink from full half pink. days that I'm yeah. in love with. <laughs> and I don't know. There's just something about the character that I can be on the mountain and, Sometimes it's different than who I think I can be in real life. I don't know why, but I think snowboarding is is about happiness and joy and expression. expression. That's what you're saying. Yeah, like expressing that part of you that is creative and excited playful and playful. Yeah, open to open to ideas and experiences. That's and- why I think your podcast is going to be epic. Is that you're in this beautiful place. You've Thank got you. unfettered access to this amazing, <laughs> like, just backdrop of inspiration. Like, it's like I could see, even if I was having a down day, and then I'm, then I get on that gondola and get out and go to the top of a lift and just look around. And I think that is what sunshine is for so many people. We welcome people from all over the world and we're so grateful to, but we're, we're a place people dream of visiting. We're a bucket list destination. We're an afternoon. I'm done with the office. I need to get out of town for our Calgary guests. We're a place where you can say, I don't need to worry about this right now. And almost turn off your phone and mute the noise and just have a few good air, like a few good runs and turns and nature and remember your place. It's amazing. So how did that, work for you like if that's your baseline how do you escape to (laughs) i guess you just get that refresh all the time yeah and i go to a few of my favorite runs yeah how how often are you riding right now oh i usually well i make sure that if i'm at the mountain i try to do at least one run a day and if i'm working up at the mountain i will even if it's just taking the gondola up and doing the ski out 
but I will say I probably, well, I at least still get in about 60 days on snow. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. People will talk about a 100-day season, but you don't realize that's like six days a week, every week of the entire year. This past winter, we had a 200-day season. Wow. That's a lot. When did you guys open? You opened early November. We opened November 3rd. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. And then you went all the way until June. Till May 21st this May 21st. year. Till Slush Cup Monday. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> yeah, that was the last big push I saw. Slush Cup. So as a marketing director, are you scheduling the like the whole season do you have a calendar somewhere where you've got like the season at a glance? Yeah. So we, we kind of almost have a template for our events and what we want to do and bring to life. And as a marketing director, the events team does fall under me and our spring is our big activation for events. November, people want to hit the mountains. People want to get on snow. We all have this hunger and this insatiable appetite to get skiing as soon as possible totally. even though i'm a snowboarder i still say skiing yeah yeah most people do yeah and then i um find that come december there's a christmas rush and we have this notion in our culture that it's the quintessential christmas activity you go skiing with your family although the snow doesn't get really good until january february march i would say at sunshine our best snow is typically february march april and that's when we do the second push and because our season is so long we promote our spring season which officially kicks off on the solstice so march 21st and then we'll have bands events, food and beverage activations, as we lead up to the excitement of our typically three-day-long Slush Cup end-of-season festival. Right, right. Slush, shine long re- slush Cup long weekend. Amazing. Yeah, that looked like so much fun. It's my favorite. <laughs> well, you've got to have a couple of favorites because <clears throat> it came from the village and uh, Holy Bully are just They're insane. also so fun. Insane. And you ride those courses. That's the thing that blew my mind. Was that most marketing people they'll they'll go out with a camera, they'll do a couple of turns, you know. Um, but they're not hitting the features. Well, I think that's the beauty of Sunshine is we are we are a community of skiers and snowboarders and we we do skiing, we do snow sports because it's in our blood, not because it's trendy or it's what we think we should be doing. We want to be a community first resort and we want to give the people who ski and snowboard access to cool features, cool events so that they can build their stories and fall in love with winter the way we do. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really awesome. So you left the country for school, right? Mm -hmm. You went to school in the States? In Spokane, Washington. That's so rad. Spokanada. How did you figure Spokane? Well, I think I think I was a bit of a late bloomer and I wasn't sure I wanted to go back to school. I wanted to be a professional snowboarder and Rad. then I was getting really tired of being hurt all the time because it hurts. It, it does. hurts to yeah. fall. Yeah. And my dad said, Okay, well, you either have to go to school or you're a hundred percent on your own and I said, <laughs> Okay, okay, school it is. <laughs> yeah. At like twenty two. Okay. Yeah, that's that's a tough time to go because, you know, now you're the older person in the yeah. class. It's amazing. It's funny, you're to, 22 yeah, and you think you're old. 22, come on. 
But uh, how did you pick Spokane? Is like My dad University got his law degree from Gonzaga. And so Gonzaga. I wanted to be someplace close to home in case I needed to drive home and go skiing. Yeah. I also wanted to be in a place where there was skiing and snowboarding. Right. And... What's the local mountain in Spokane? It's uh, There was Mount Spokane, yeah. which was kind of like a fun, almost Seymour-esque vibe resort. Rad. And then there was like 49 Degrees North and yeah. Silver Mountain. And then Schweitzer was also around that area. Oh, so it's like, it's eastern Washington. Yeah. Really close to the Utah, Idaho, Wyoming Totally. Thing. Yeah. Montana. Montana, too. So much good skiing there. Like right in that one little mm-hmm. area, but it's like not very developed. There's not no. like a big, like city center. No, like Spokane is the biggest, and then and it's small. It's small. It's like half a million with the greater area, so not yeah. big, but it's growing. It's one of the faster growing regions in the U.S. right now. How did your dad wind up down in the states going to school? I am not a hundred percent sure. Right, so he's not from. The States, no. he's from Alberta? He's from Alberta. Yeah. There's a different vibe Yeah, in Alberta to anywhere else in Canada. He was, I do think he was wanting to get, um, he wanted to be a lawyer and do some corporate law. And he, I think, thought that he would work for his dad's company and maybe a legal capacity and wanted, I, I do know that he wanted to practice in the U.S. and at least get his bar in California, which he did manage to achieve. Wow. That's, yeah, that's pretty badass Badass and definitely rare for that time for a Canadian to want to have, like, a U.S. stamp of appro- yeah. approval on that. That's cool. And then, so, did was he practicing law when he was 28 and his dad passed away? He was working, um, yes, he was doing some legal stuff and he was doing some EA work with his dad. And then when the family bought Sunshine, he was the general manager and it was working in that capacity. It was really common for people of that vintage to get a, there wasn't an MBA really. So they were using their JDs to be almost their business training. That's insane. But it makes sense because you can crunch numbers and, Mm -hmm. and deal with all the legal stuff. The, the in between, the reading between the lines, the, I just can't imagine being 28 years old and running a resort. That just doesn't, like, most of the lifties are 28 years old now, right? Our average age is 26 at 26. Sunshine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you, can you imagine those guys in two years, like, taking over ops of the whole mountain? No, but I do think uh, my grandma's 93, my mom's mom. And the other day she said to me, she's like, I always thought I was old. I've been old all of my life, and now I'm actually old. (laughs) Wow. And it was kind of like a, yeah. You know, I was 12 and I thought I was old. I was 22 in university as a freshman, and I thought I was old. I'm 37, and I think I'm old. Like That's interesting. We have this concept that we're so much older than we are, but. I'm the opposite. So my best friend growing up. When I, when we when we turned thirty, I called him. He turned thirty seven months ahead of me. I said, "Oh my god, I'm so scared. Like, what's it like?" <laughs> and he was like, "I feel like I've been thirty my whole life. Like, he, I finally feel like I'm the age that I was." And then I thought back. I'm like, "Yeah, he was like a thirty year old, you know, like five year old. He was very practical and looking to the future." And 
when I turned 30, I was like a 30-year-old, nine-year-old. <laughs> like, I'm a 50-year-old, nine-year-old. I just, I'm stuck at that, like, excited about the world, skateboarding, you know, or snowboarding, like this childish kind of pursuit. And that, But it's not. But it's not childish. But it's not. I mean, people make really good lives out of it. There's so many different avenues for you know, being a, a person that lives in the mountains, plays in the mountains, that's dedicated to the lifestyle of, of you know, going skiing, going snowboarding 60 times a year. I also think we all know who we are, like our true selves at four, five, six. And then maybe we let other people's preconceived notions and the world tell us who we think we should be. And we spend a lot of our adult life trying to get back to that person we were. That's interesting. That's absolutely my experience. I've, I've seen that firsthand. Like you lose yourself to like, you know, what expectations, right? Like, so if you're smart at school. They're like, they expect you to do, be a doctor, be a lawyer, do something with, with school be a professor, be that like person that just goes to school and then becomes the person that teaches at school. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. Four or five years old, you kind of know. I was jumping off of the playground <laughs> stuff as high up as we could and just uh, a definite risk taker and looking for that thrill, that excitement. And holy smokes, snowboarding delivers that in space. Yes, it does. Yeah, because you can literally... You can just turn down the mountain and it's fun, but then you can challenge yourself trying to ollie over a rope or hit a jump or you, there's like a million different ways to get excited when you're snowboarding. It's amazing. I love it. So you snowboarded the whole way through school. Did you, how long did you go to school in Spokane? For four years. You made it. You yes. did the whole yes, thing. Yes, I did the whole thing. Yeah. I loved it. I was sad to leave. What did you take? I took business. Yeah. Killer. And so you knew. Yeah. If you if you get this business degree, you're coming back to Sunshine and you're going to be helping with the business. That was my my goal and my intention and Were you close with your dad? Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. And you have a brother or a I sister? I two younger brothers. Two younger and brothers. I would say I was I was the I definitely am the one that's most in love with the sport. Mhm. Mm so kind of following in your dad's footsteps. He was one of 7, did one you say? One of 7. Which is like insane by today's standards, but 3 is insane by today's <laughs> standards, right? 7's just you wouldn't I do know that. I have one. I'm like, "How?" Yeah, I have two. I wasn't prepared was like, for how much work one was. Yeah. And, and mine's easy. Yeah, and two is not. Yeah, it's so nice having the first one be easy, hey? Yeah. It, people looking at you like sideways, like, how did you luck out? And everyone, all of my friends with two are like, the first one tricks you. <laughs> it The thing for me with two. Did you have both boys or? No, uh, the girl first and the boy second, which is perfect because she helped out so much with her brother. She named him. Like, so his name, she picked it out, what which is was it? so sweet, Bowen. Cute. So so she picked his name, and she was always this, like, guardian, and she was so helpful. So my first wife and I split when they were, like, four and eight, I think. And so she was really on the hook for, like, helping out. But because of that, they were so close. Is so They still are. It's so amazing that they have each other so that is fun but the big thing was 
with the first, it was a lot of work. There's no denying it was a lot of work. But with this, when Bowen came along, Emma had had us to herself for four years. So then it was like this instant guilt that we couldn't be uh, yeah, 100% yeah. there for her anymore. Plus an added guilt that Bowen's not getting 100% ever. No, never. Yeah. So it was it was really challenging having two. I wasn't expecting it. I <clears throat> I I um I think about that with I struggled with yeah. mine and I'm like he's never going like I will never have this again because if there's a second they won't have it won't just be me and him watching That's it. Snuggling on a couch reading a book right. for the hundredth time. Right. Yeah. That's... <laughs> brown bear, brown bear, what do you see? <laughs> yeah, Good Night Moon was one for us and and for some reason the uh the Disney story of Beauty and the Beast, just mm. over and over. I could do it without, you know, like I could. I knew what pages I could skip to get to the end faster, you know, <laughs> to get that. Just, okay, now fall asleep. Well, you missed a page. No. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun, but what people don't tell you about being a parent is that it's all-consuming. Mm-hmm. So that Kendra that went to university and had so much fun and left and missed leaving – like, you don't get to bring that to parenting. No. No. <laughs> I I often explain it like, and it takes, it took me a long time to realize it. And I love both my kids to the moon, obviously. But as far as relationships go, if I had a friend that was like, you know, hey, Eric, I'm done. Could you come <laughs> into the bathroom? I would be, that wouldn't be a friend anymore. <laughs> That would be... Eric, I, sit. <laughs> yes. Eric, sit. Not More, there. More, please. Not there. Not there. there. My coffee. <laughs> Mine. My coffee. Exactly. <laughs> Isn't it insane? It drives you nuts. It really drove me nuts. No, I don't give my toddler coffee, but no, we, we froth milk for him, so he thinks Aww. he's drinking coffee. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> and he says, coffee? More coffee, please? Oh, uh, how old is he? Four? Two. Two. Oh, my God. You're so, right at the beginning. So I'm I'm just waiting for the call from daycare, being like, why is your son drinking coffee? <laughs> Can you please not give him coffee before daycare? Oh, man. I, what is the coffee age now? I remember when my kids started talking about Starbucks. We want to go to Starbucks for a frap. I was like, Zzz. they were doing it to bother me. You know what I mean? They're like, we're not those kids. But their friends were, you know, like 10 or 12 years old, <laughs> drinking coffee. Doesn't it stunt your growth? I was told that. They're all tall. They they were fine. I think I started drinking coffee at like 16. Yeah. It felt like such an adult thing yeah. to do, hey? And then, so from 16 to 22, what are you doing? Obviously, you're, you know, a little bit of partying, a little bit of... Finishing high school, snowboarding yeah. a lot. Yeah, yeah. I worked at Sunshine, so my first job was in the rental shop, and I was 15 when I did that, then 16, 17, 18. I did, um, I was a ski instructor and a snowboard instructor, I so I did that. have my level twos in both. And then I went to film school in Vancouver. VF. I went to VFS and did a lot of writing there. And I enjoyed it. But then Vancouver was really, really gray. Yeah. Really gray. Yes. Especially if you're from sunshine. Yeah. Yeah. So I struggled with the misery of the gray. I could see it. Because it's not just, I'm describing, 
you know, three months of gray in the winter. But that can happen all summer, too. It was, and I would say Vancouver is probably the nicest city in Canada, for sure, without a question, when it's sunny. Yeah, yeah. There's all the beaches. There's so much cool stuff. It's getting busy. But They're building a lot of high-rises. It's getting busy. The traffic is starting to... You know what it is? I'm getting old. (laughs) I would have never complained about the traffic when I was a kid. Ever. (laughs) I would I would say it was the most mellow. People drive there like, yeah, go ahead. Who cares? Yeah, go. Yeah, we're not in a rush. Raw West Coast vibes here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, Alberta. Was it a bit of a culture shock going to like slower pace Vancouver? I think it was a bit of not really. I think I fit with the culture when I was younger, and I fit. I liked it. I liked the work play lifestyle balance i like the art scene i like the music scene i liked so much about it the hardest part for me about vancouver was the weather and (laughs) even though it's cold here like i'm not saying that it's warm in alberta in the winter because that would be a lie yeah but it's a dry cold it's a cold that if you dress properly and you drink the right amount of hot chocolate or hot beverage and you sit by a fire you're going to be blissfully comfortable all winter long and there it was like you got wet and it was damp and it was in your bones and you're like i'm so cold i'm so miserable i'm never going to be warm again where did you live what part of town i lived in north van yeah cool so what was lonsdale of course yeah i worked at that lonsdale boardroom for oh cool i opened that up in 2000 with the owner murray fraser and worked there for seven years it was such a fun spot because if it was dumping you could run up the mountain literally do a lunch break at Grouse or at Cypress and Seymour, same. You got these three mountains there. And they all had such different cultures. Totally different. Did you go to all three while you were there? Yes, mostly Grouse and Seymour, though. Cypress was a bit bit further away. Yeah. Did you have a car or were you? I did have a car. Yeah. 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 So, the, yeah, lucky In 1995, Oldsmobile Aurora. That's amazing. My parents were pretty embarrassed by it by the end. <laughs> I learned that it could mold in a car because of how damp my (laughs) ski gear was. Yeah, you leave your stuff in there. That's not good. My mom came to visit once and she's like, oh, what is that? Oh, Kendra, (laughs) it stinks. Oh, no. So were you upper Lonsdale or down Down, by the waterfront? um, Like, I guess mid now. It was lower Lonsdale. Yeah. But it was... Not on the waterfront. It was like six blocks up. Yeah, it's it's been developed. So, like, it used to close down... Like after six o'clock, it was just like there's nothing it's, to do. That was insane. It's a different, different world, different city than I remember it being. Yeah, and you must have had that Goldilocks syndrome where you'd go downtown to go out and see a show. Yeah, and you're like, I've got to go by midnight. The the Sky Train closes or the C bus closes. The C bus. <laughs> Catch the last C bus at whatever twelve fifteen. It's so bizarre that they that was their. You know, there was a real limiter on, and downtown Vancouver closed down early too. It's not, it was kind of a weird scene for a while. Remember once I must have looked like 16 and the captain of the sea bus came, even though I was 18, but obviously yeah. I was like way older yeah, in my yeah, head. And he's yes. like, oh, you want to come sit in the in the cockpit? So oh. I got to sit in like up top and it was actually really cool. Yeah, like what they would do for a kid. Yeah. Like, yeah. Hey, check this out. I've never been invited up there. That's awesome. Yeah, I must have looked way younger. Yeah. Maybe I thought I was like 12. <laughs> I was short. 
<laughs> I didn't. I grew four inches after high school, so yeah, it probably was like, oh, where are your parents, little girl? <laughs> that's your late bloomer story. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Oh, that's fun. That's cool that you know, like you know where I where I ride. It's it's a really amazing city for that. But if if you are bummed out by living in a rainforest, then it's gonna it's really gonna wear on you over a long period of time. You but know? Calgary's really cool too. I would say that over the past few years, Calgary has really evolved and changed and it's getting some more of the cultural influences from oh, that skate and snow culture. Yes, a hundred percent. You see it everywhere. Yeah. I could see that there's, you know, like the new cool restaurants. Mm-hmm. It's it's got a good vibe. It's an, like I love Calgary. I can't and it's sunny, so I can't complain. Yeah, that's dope. And the stampede is it's a good time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You just had Stampede. How long is Stampede? Is that a week? 10 days. Unbelievable. And what are your favorite things about Stampede? I've never been, so I don't even know. I think my favorite thing about Stampede is like the festival vibe of dressing like dressing in Western wear for 10 days and the whole city kind of leans into it. And if you don't lean into it, you kind of get out of the way, but yeah. it really just takes over. And I love. I love how people make it their own. Calgary Stampede, I remember hearing about it when I was a little kid. So it's been going forever, right? And it's... It was 110 years. It started in 1912, and they missed one year to COVID. Oh, God. COVID sucked. COVID did. Did you guys operate through the whole thing? Yes and no. So um, I remember March 12th, like... Like it was yesterday. It was actually in the UK. I was on a press trip. And I, when I arrived there, it was like March 5th or 6th. The world was normal. And then I was did my conference, did the work. Things were getting like weirder and weirder by the day. I remember getting a text message from a friend. And she's like, are you guys going to close? Resorts in Italy are closing. Like, are you going to close? I'm like, this will pass. Like, this is... Yeah. Like, no, I'm not worried about this. And then I flew back on March 12th, and that was the day Trump announced that there was no European flights to come to the continental U.S. And my flight was, like, it was packed. There was national teams trying to get home. There was every, like, there was a wait list to get on the plane. There wasn't a spare seat. It was madness to get on. And I'm there, and I'm on, and watching the plane, um, one person had a medical emergency and the flight attendants came in like hazmat suits to them. They called for a doctor. They smocked up the doctor. And as we arrive in Calgary, we're sitting on the tarmac and we're told that our plane was going to be quarantined for a bit. So we had to wait to get some patients off the plane. And then I'm like, yeah, this is, this is different. This is, I'm not sure what's going to happen. And then, each day got progressively weirder. I also landed right when the quarantine was introduced. So I wasn't up at the mountain. And then on March 17th was our last day of operation before we were ordered by Adursa, the body that regulates um, lifts, so ski lifts in Alberta, to shut down. And we essentially had 24 hours to lay off something like 800 employees uh, to close our staff accommodation to get people home. So it was just madness closing shop. And then I at first was like, okay, well, maybe it's two weeks. We'll reopen. We'll reopen. 
we'll reopen. And two weeks turned into a month, into two months, into we passed Slush Cup and we had our virtual Slush Cup, which wasn't very much fun. I mean, it was fun, but I know it was really saying. weird when I look back on it that we even had to think and pivot that way. Yeah. And we kind of got to work and our idea was our goal is to open and to stay open. So we scaled back everything. We had limited food and beverage. We had zero events in the year. We demarketed. We put up signs like, you've got a standish six feet apart from one another. Yeah. Your yeah. gondola have to wear your mask. Oh, wow. Um, well, that it's the, at least creative and fun and you're you're playing the game. It, Who is it that runs the lifts here? Like So Adursa is the governing body for amusement parks, elevators, lifts. In Alberta. In Alberta. So in BC, is it Transport Canada or something? I think it's like the Ministry of Highways or something that it, I'm not sure who it. does it in BC. Yeah. I think it's different. Because like, yeah. I think there was a half pipe under a, a lift at Cyprus and the Ministry of Transportation was like, no, we're shutting that down. And that was maybe the governing body of the of the lifts in, in BC. I think it is different because each province has it in a different place. That's crazy. And then the next year we got through that one year of COVID yep. fine. It was probably the most boring year. Like it was a vanilla, vanilla year. Snow was great, but... Yeah, so the gondola, you could probably only put two or three people in. You could only put a household in. Yeah, if someone was in your bubble, then you Mm -hmm. could go up the gondola. But it originally wasn't even your bubble. Like, I remember going up once with my parents, and we're not supposed to go up together because we live in different households. Oh, wow. So it was, yeah, it was kind of weird. So you never had any outbreaks or anything here, obviously, right? Like Not, I mean, of course, people had it. People got it, yeah. Nothing that we can attribute to we were. You had to close it down and it was like, yeah, super spreader event or something. The the ma- mass migration of people to ski resorts that happened over the course of, like, because numbers just went through the roof. You couldn't go to a gym. You couldn't go anywhere. But the ski resorts were open, which was awesome. I wanted that, of course. But the lines in Vancouver became unmanageably insane our gondola line was challenging but once you were up it was fine and so we didn't actually we didn't have increased visitation over the covid year because we were so limited with our gondola but once you were up it was you could go places and of course you had you were only allowed to ride the chairlift with your yeah bubble yeah yeah we had bubble private lessons because we couldn't do group lessons Wow. Only households could sit at a table. It was really an interesting exercise. What I found fascinating was the amount of letters and emails and phone calls we received from the general public thanking us for being open and yeah. saying how important it was for them and their mental health and their sanity that there was even a place to recreate and thank you for doing what we did. And that was pretty motivating for us and our team because it wasn't easy getting it was not easy operating in doesn't make yeah doesn't sound easy the confines of covid sounds like the riding experience would have been pretty awesome though because you've got the limited amount of people and 
It was. Got, you, that doesn't change the terrain. You've got no. all this, all this amazing terrain. Yeah, that's the big thing that you notice at Sunshine. Like, and then the so following year was, was just as interesting because we then had the vaccine. So we are believe like we said, okay, what is the government doing? What will give you the best access? And we opted into the um, vaccine restriction program. Yeah. Or the vaccine exemption program, I believe it was called in Alberta. Yeah. And so obviously we required that people showed their vaccine status and that brought out a whole other, yeah. like yeah. a whole other. Yeah. I can imagine some angry people in the parking lot just being like, you can't keep me from going up here. And you go, well, we actually, we can, we don't want to. It's for the greatest good right now. Right. right. We don't want to. This isn't something we came up with. No. We're just following what the government's doing, which yeah, I mean, providing love it or the greatest hate it. amount of good for the greatest amount of people. Yeah, yeah, love it or hate it. It was big decisions. It was like, big that's, decisions. That's a big deal. It was crazy. It was crazy. It was crazy. I'm so stoked that ski resorts navigated that space so well. I'm sure there were places where they just shut down. Yeah, I, we have friends that operate a resort in Ontario, and they say they were open for like 15 days in that first season, and. Uh, their quote was, we never spent so much money to lose so much money, oh, but yeah. we couldn't operate. We couldn't open. The Ontario government wasn't business friendly and mm. they really struggled. And I look at us and we can't complain because we were open. We were able to share our love of winter with our guests and we were able to at least provide a piece of happiness in that time. When did you get out of university and start working up here? I started working. Well, you started working up here like when you were 15. Yeah. You worked all the way through until you went to school. And then four went years off. What did you do while you're at school? Were you just focusing on school or did you have like a part-time job down there? I was just focusing on school and you can't work in the I States. couldn't work in the right, States. Right, right, right. Yep. I would serve part-time at the Magpie when I would come home. Yeah, yeah. Just like business as usual mm -hmm. when you come home. See your friends. Serve at the Magpie. Yeah. And then went at, fresh out of school. You... I worked for a home builder. I worked at a fitness studio. I did some other, I worked at an ad agency. I did some things getting around. And then I, I actually started our first Facebook account back in like 2004. Wow. That's before early. Before you could, before Facebook had business pages. Wow. And so I set us up as like, sunshine village and he was a dude he was 28 years old like made the whole like <laughs> right he wasn't in a committed relationship <laughs> and like i remember people being like why are you doing this like this right. is stupid and then when i was in university someone's like oh yeah we have to convert the facebook page that you made into a business page and that incredible so you had that kind of foresight like you're like oh this will be a good marketing tool for the for the mountain, why not? Yeah, and I was more like I'm a, I'm a millennial. This is where I, yes, I am a, I am a millennial poster child, and I'm <laughs> not ashamed to admit it. But. Sure, sure, yeah, they get a bad name in stand up comedy, but yeah, millennials. We might say why. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you didn't just come straight out of school and start working up here. No, there wasn't. There wasn't really a place for me to slide into or. There wasn't an organic, and I, I did want to work at Sunshine. It was definitely my goal and what I wanted. And then there was um, 
there was a social media manager that was hired and she was telling people, oh yeah, the new policy is that it's best to post once every 10 days. That's what all the big companies are doing. And she went on vacation and was defending this. And I, my dad was like, no, this doesn't work. Like this isn't, this isn't making I don't sense. get it. This doesn't make sense. Why like, would we do that? It's here all the time. Social media should be real time, shouldn't it? Yeah, and like, post yeah a million, it's 100% yeah. real time. Like, Post a million things. Just post every day. And what we found, what I find with our social strategy is consistency. Consistency is everything. Transparency and consistency. People want to know what it's actually like that day. They want to know what their experience will be like. And they want to know that you're there, that you'll listen to them, that they can ask questions and be heard. Yeah, that makes sense. That's a really tough one, right? Like the like truth in advertising. I, I know I've spoken with several people that worked at our local mountains about like the, how, how does it benefit you if you say that it's plus two and snowing like it's if it's not snowing if it's raining people want to know that they're driving up a long yeah. road to get soaked like that doesn't help you out if you lie about it no or exaggerate light precipitation it's like okay well just say it's raining Especially if it's pouring. Come on. We're very lucky we don't get, it's rare for us to get rain. Sometimes in the spring we do, but like, yeah, it's cold. It's like on days where it's minus 30, we'll say, yeah, it's cold. If you're coming up, bundle up, dress warm, take breaks. That's your responsibility as a resort. It is. Like the, a real time snapshot of what you're driving up into because it's not, you're not just casually walking out your door and walking into the mountain it's you've got a it's it's a it, you know an effort to get there now and with my customers or our guests i don't want i don't want a one time uh, yeah yeah i don't want a one day ski or one day stand of a customer i want i i see it that we're in the long haul we're in a long term relationship i want them to come fall in love be turned into a raving fan and they can say, you know, I didn't like it when you said this. You weren't transparent. Yeah. I'll listen. I'll hear it. And I want to be able to implement their feedback so that they know that we value them and we can continually do better because that's how you create lifelong skiers and snowboarders. Yeah, I could. I can imagine, you know, a person that's like, oh, you're doing all these holy bully posts. You know, I got up there. I couldn't ride it. It's like, well, the the public days are at the end. Mm-hmm. Like, and I could, I could see that being a challenge, right? Like having an exclusive course on hill while you've got your paying customers that are, don't have access to it. Um, do you, do you have to deal with that a little bit from time to time? I think Holy Bully is such a unique situation. We learned a ton the first time we hosted it and it was, uh, it's a, it's a pro course. It is a, it is not a first-time park riders course. It has different transitions. You you need to be comfortable on your edges to be able to ride it. And I think it gives us a big learning opportunity to showcase what you can achieve in this sport or or what you can aspire to. Yes. But it needs to be done in a very in a very professional and understanding manner. When we opened up our public days the very first time, we put in no restrictions. 
you can just come and ride it. Right. And we had something like 12 code sixes in oh, the first God. 20 minutes. Yeah, of course. And it was, okay, we need to control this. We need to say this is an advanced terrain park feature. We need to make helmets mandatory. We need to put a bit of fear into some of the public because this is not... Yeah, don't bring your kid through here no. thinking that, oh, that looks nice and smooth and cool. Like It is. It's challenging. And then we did a limitation on the numbers. So with our public days, the hardest part has been controlling the numbers. But we have make our public guests register for it as well. Oh, and then wow. we've turned that into a fundraising effort for various causes. We've supported, um, we've supported cancer research through it. We've supported um, Cousin Skate Club with hoping to raise funds for a skate park on the mini teeny native lands. And Sick. we're using it as a way that we can do good in our community and give back. Oh, that's really cool. Is that is that a philosophy that's built into the Sunshine program? Like, do you guys, have you, have you always kind of invited groups up to get people out on the snow that might not be able to? We have. We... We definitely have done our best to try and engage and interact with people that might not have access. So we've worked with the Alex here in Calgary, and we've offered ski days to um, unhome, unhoused teenagers. And wow. we've done various experiences where we try to provide a bit of positivity and sunshine into those that might not have it. That's really cool. That's awesome. Uh, that's the shortcut to happiness I've found. It's like, if you want the ha- the cheat code to life, it's like work in the service of, of others. Like give something you really care about to somebody that doesn't have access to it, as opposed to the other way around. Be humble. Yeah. Be we're, human. Yeah. We're, we're all, always, there's this marketing machine that tells us, you know, if you get a bigger car, bigger house, better clothes, better you'll be happy you'll be that's going to lead to this happy place and if you're in the pursuit of that you you know you lose yourself it's yeah it's nice to have a new phone for a couple of days but then it's just a phone then you drop it now it's chipped and now you're sad you're not happy this thing that was supposed to make you happy is bumming you out i remember when we hosted the alex group and i was there and i bought them lunch and one kid starts asking for a box to pack up his sandwich. And I'm like, why? He's like, oh, well, then I can have dinner tonight, too. And I'm like, no, just eat this now. I'll buy you one to take home. Like, just eat it. Yeah. And I ordered fries for the table. They took one right. at a time. And I'm like, no, like, so help polite. yourself. Yeah, and they're please, like, guys. well, are you, like, are you sure? And their their chaperone for the day goes, they couldn't believe that was for them. They couldn't believe that somebody gave this to them. Aw. It was it actually broke my heart and made me cry because Yeah. I would never think twice about grabbing a fistful of French fries from a table. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, these are for friends. sharing, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Oh, that's yeah. It's touching and it's I think there's something transformative, and Steve LaRossiere, who does Stoked.org, he's retired, actually, so he built up Stoked.org from nothing. And it might have even been at Sunshine that he had the moment that he came out, he visited his uncle, he went into the mountains, I think it was Whistler, but he, I think but he's be been sunshine. out here too, sure. And he was from New York City, and he's like, what the fuck is this? This is what I want. 
right? And then when he got home, he realized that if he could bring city kids that are maybe not in the best home life situation, just one day with a mentor out on the mountain to be like, yeah, you know what? This is something to aspire to. If you like it out here, this is somewhere you can live. This Mm -hmm. is somewhere that it doesn't take much to get, you know, uh, out of your life situation and up into like something that's just completely removed totally from influences that could be really bad for you. The mountain doesn't judge. It doesn't care if you're rich, poor, black, white, straight, gay. It just cares that you respect it. Right, right. But then the barrier to entry, you know, as we're all up here privileged, like paying for our lift tickets mm-hmm. and having all our fun and being brought up in families where that was a you know family tradition to go. On Christmas Day, the whole family goes up. Um, we forget that when we're looking around, we're not seeing a lot of inclusion. No, we're not. And it is something that we are working hard on. And at Sunshine, we're really focused on protecting some of our lower barrier lower barrier entry products. So yes, costs of running a resort are skyrocketing. Inflation yeah. is skyrocketing. There are these challenges. But we are committed to keeping our family pass a family pass that is inclusive to however big a family is. Cool. So the price will be two adults and however many children they have. Wow, really? Yeah. So if you have seven children, you can all come ski on it because it's about yeah, the You're family. never going to make it up here anyway. <laughs> You've got seven kids. Yeah, no, but yeah, I, that's really cool. Our Costco tickets where they're like essentially last year it was under $200 for two tickets. That's great. Our super cards. And we're working on ways that we can get back to communities and work with communities to make skiing inclusive because yeah. it needs to be inclusive. Yeah, we didn't, it wasn't like, it was nobody's fault. No. You know, there are these, you know, I don't even want to talk about the system of, you know, pay to play, right? Yeah. It, but it's been evolving over our lifetime, right? Like when I was a kid, and we went to Disneyland. It was just Disneyland. And now there's like different, like a caste system of like, if you're rich, then you you hop the line. Uh-huh. You, you go first. If you, if you are poor, you don't even go. It's so expensive. But like, um, it that's, that's happening kind of everywhere. And from an economic standpoint, snowboarding has been very instrumental in reaching some of the unencumbered the less represented audiences because on average a snowboard setup costs less than a true ski setup. You can get it secondhand. It'll still work great. You can, it follows that skate culture and snowboarding has seen bigger pickup in the Latino communities. And that's pretty cool to see that more people are getting through or entering the sport as snowboarders. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. When I became a snowboarder and started going to resorts, so it would have been about 15, 14, 15, at zero etiquette. Like, we, I'm coming from skateboarding, so entitled. Like, we're going to ride on your lift shack, you know what I mean? And people couldn't tell us, like, hey, don't do that. That's dangerous. You're going to break something on you or on the building. Like, we don't want that. We were belligerent, like, by design. It was kind of this thing. But... And, and also like in the, in the parking lot, like, Hey, can I have, can I clip your ticket off your jacket? Like that must have presented a pretty big challenge 
to the status quo of like family passes, paying for tickets, you know, re- lift line etiquette. I can remember going to a resort and we just went to the front of the line. We're like, this is bullshit that we paid for our tickets, which we hadn't. And we're like butting in front of the line. It was insane. We were just so nuts. But I think what I'm talking about here is that those are some of the challenges of integrating um, a whole other demographic into, you know, eventually we became, you know, more functional members of. Well, there was a point where I really was like, this place we weren't is, doing snowboarders weren't doing themselves any favors for a while. We're but. not doing ourselves any favors. You, we don't want to get banned, and also, I want to pay this place to continue to operate. Like, if I'm going to spend my money on something, I want it to be a resort that caters to the type of riding that we're doing. And, you know, I want to respect and and thank the operators. And <laughs> it's only been in the last couple of years that it's been Ski Patrol has <laughs> been added into that for me. I had no idea they were mobile, you know, emergency room nurses and doctors. Like, they're medical mm-hmm. staff that are dealing with, like, broken arms and legs in the mountains like it's nuts mad respect for ski patrol but i think that only comes with age you know what i mean so yeah i've i apologize personally to eddie wood for stealing less services and put a public service announcement out that like look if you can afford a lift ticket buy a lift ticket if if you Need to get a season's pass? Make sure you make it for that deadline. Get the, the season's, season's pass. Ta- the season's pass is your absolute most affordable way to enjoy the season. Yeah, it's epic. Do you guys do a uh, like a end of the season pass that's good for next year kind of thing? No, but we do a spring pass. So like it's probably our absolute cheapest pass. And because our season is so long, we have a pass that typically goes in sale early March, end of February, and becomes valid on the 21st of March to the end of the season. So essentially 60 days and it skis off in like four visits. Yeah. Yeah. What's the, pre- what's the cost on one of it's those? It's like $500. That's so reasonable. And right? I think people need, like one thing I wish people knew is that every time there's vandalization of a gondola cabin, windows, chairlifts, that increases the cost of our business and it makes your lift ticket go up. Every time you don't pay, there's something that has to be done. So the more we look, the more we think of skiing and snowboarding as a community sport, the more we have to cover our share because it, it's not cheap running a mountain. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and now with the um, conglomerate mountain passes, how uh, has that affected you guys, right? Like, because there's the Epic Pass, and then one of the there's, there's the Icon Pass, and, the Icon, and there's right. Mountain Collective, and we are on the Icon Pass and the Mountain Collective Pass. The Mountain Collective Pass really started as a response to Vale's Epic Pass, and it was a right. collection of all the independent resorts that had personality and character. And I'm very grateful that that pass. Who else is on that pass? We've got Jackson hole, big sky. Oh, wow. Um, there is sugar bowl in California. Epic. Epic. Panorama, Revelstoke. Jeez. It's a great pass. And it, it is two free days at each resort. It is an amazing past product if you want to hit multiple resorts on that. Yeah. I'm a huge believer that the Mount Collective Pass is probably one of the best ways to 
ski the world. You can ski Japan with it. You can ski in Europe with Amazing. it. And what I like about that pass is it encourages the unique characteristics and ideology of each resort. And then Icon Pass is a little bit different. It was started by Altera Group and it has all of the Altera resorts on it and then more of the independent resorts as well. So you're on both We're passes. on both. Oh, that's incredible. I got to get linked up with one of those two passes just as a, like, so I can travel around. Because when I went to Tahoe, I ended up at Palisades. Thank you, Dave Downing, for hooking me up with tickets there. And Palisades at Tahoe is amazing. That's great. But Sugar Bowl was like surge, surge pricing day pass. <laughs> I was looking at like three a $300 lift ticket. And I was just going, I don't know if I can do this. American? Two ten Canadian, two ten so three hundred, yeah, or like a thousand, three thousand Canadian. No, <laughs> it's so much. Not free. Yeah, and and also it was like I got up there late, right? Like so, like they didn't have an afternoon pass. It was they they turned me away at guest services. They said there's just not really a pass that makes sense for you today. I was like, oh my god, I just <laughs> want to do the last hour of the day. <laughs> But uh, but I also understand, like, they're a huge resort running, a, you know, I'm coming in as, you know, media, and I should have, I knew I was going to be there. I should have, you know, reached out two and a half weeks before or whatever. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I should get linked up with, uh, which one do you personally like better, the Icon or the Mountain Collective? I, they're both great products. I think I like the Mountain Collective because it's got a bit more bit more character personality it's mm -hmm. it's it started as a as a group of resorts that yeah. are like-minded and it's a bit more affordable it's two days so the icon and epic they all have their levels their tiers their yeah. cast system if you will yeah exactly right <laughs> and the mountain collective is just pretty simple two free days at each resort plus 50 percent off that's amazing. So yeah, you could go a Revy. You could do a trip from Vancouver, go to Revy, come Sun out Peaks. here. Sun Peaks is awesome on the way, and go and then head south of the border. Yeah, and get down to uh, Jackson is just amazing. Have you skied Jackson? I have not. It is oh. on my list. Oh yes, you have to go. It's amazing. The fall line there is just incredible. It's crazy. Well, you guys share a mountain range, right? Is that it, there in the Rockies? Kind yes, of, the Southern Rockies or whatever. And Schweitzer and all that stuff in. So, but I think Jackson has a lake effect or something. They get heavy, heavy snowfalls. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's on my list of places I want to go. Yeah, and Revy gets a lake effect as mm -hmm. well. So, which is, because when you get out to the Rockies, it's like, Drier, it's, smokier. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Like a smoke-cold powder that is almost Houdini-esque. Yeah, the, the best part of it, and I remember this from Big Sky as well was that fresh groomed in the morning was very close to as fun as like <laughs> like like a six inch powder day you know what i mean yeah that like perfect corduroy just perfect corduroy just like ripping top to bottom and just edge hold and fun and you then can still spray and then you didn't need any weather to happen in order for it to be perfect again the next day it's just like you know Lather, rinse, repeat. You're having these perfect days, day after day after day. You're going, this. I get this. I, uh, I like that. I like that style. It's especially amazing for park. It's incredible. 
So you were a park rider, right? I was, like, yeah. That's how you met Crush. You told the story of meeting Crush down in in, in Spokane. Washington. Yes. Is he? He's, it was at a feeders a feeders event at Spokane Valley Mall. That's just nuts that he was doing that, like in a parking lot. Yeah. <laughs> that's so like fun. September. I think it was that, or maybe it was. I think it was early September, around like Labor Day. Yeah. Or like early, because we were eating watermelon. Yeah, so like kicking off the season. Yeah. He's doing this event in your local mall parking lot. You show up. Do you tell him that that you're from Sunshine? I no, I like he, You were a kid. I was a kid. I, yeah, yeah, it was it was fun. It yeah. was super fun. Yeah, you rode the event. It's kind of sketchy. Did you compete? We did like he didn't really have like girls or guys like it was just the feeders and like the best rider would go but yeah like uh jaeger bailey was won that event and cool he was an incredible rider yeah totally that's rad and you're you're equally comfortable hitting like park features like rails and and stuff like that as you are like shredding gnarly lines or I hitting was. jumps now now definitely not but as a mom have you just like where when did it when did it cool down i think like um what you get more used to when i was in school i was definitely jibbing a lot more and cool there was great rails and train parks in the spokane area and they had all these like scaffolding setups so i did more of that and then as i got older it was more big mountain more and now it's okay i'll go right power delirium dive or Get some runs here. And it's a little easier on the body. It's a lot easier sure. on the body. You still hit jumps? I do, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen it. I've I've seen footage. You're it, solid. It did take me a bit to get back after after having a baby. I was a bit more nervous. Yeah. I didn't ride park for an entire year while I was pregnant, although I did ride up to the 36 weeks. and That's amazing. My mother was not happy about it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I think the statistic on on uh, postpartum um, trauma, right? Like, so, like, I think it's eighty percent. Eighty percent of women um, report that their that their birth experience was traumatic. Oh wow! Which is it's, it shouldn't be. No, it wasn't before it was medicalized, but now that it's more, you're more likely to be in a hospital. You're more likely to be, you know, attended to with interventions. I think um I wouldn't say my experience was traumatic. It oh, was Oh, that's great. You're in the yeah, 20. I'm, the good I'm lucky. 20. I was very yeah. lucky. Yeah. But I, I was definitely like harder getting your balance back and yeah. kind of the changes to your body and just your intuition with your body was very different. I noticed more so change getting back into the sport after and I was more cautious. I didn't yeah. want to get hurt. I was more afraid to hit things. You talk about that um you know, passion for people that get addicted to these sports. I don't want to use addicted. That's a bit, like, it has a negative connotation. That Become infatuated. Yes, exactly. Become obsessed with these things. And that push for progression. And I've seen it with moms. I think you put that energy towards being a good parent, right? Like, so you're no longer like thinking about your own personal progression and now you're you know you're in these in between years where 
you know, putting your son now when you see putting your son on skis is borderline abusive, right? Like people are like <laughs> he snowboards. Does he already? Yes, and he loves two? it. You gotta be kidding me. No, That's he amazing. loves it. Is he in lessons? Does he do like the we just go lessons? and play and like do half play. an hour? Yeah. But it is true, like your wants and dreams are almost become calistine in comparison to what you want to inspire this little child and you want to put your energy into ensuring that they grow up to be a good, kind human being. Yes. I don't care if he's the smartest, the best, the richest, the poorest. I just want him to be kind yeah. and a good human. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the the goal for us with our family was kind human. Like, let, let's make functional people. Let's let's create a, a foundation where the challenges of life that are inevitably going to um they're there they're happening that the that the kids feel like they've got somewhere to lean back on that they know they're supported and they they're can supported. support others yeah. and yeah. that they can give a hand when necessary it's cool that you asked. say that you say that cuz i've had that talk with my son a couple of times where i'm like because you had so much support growing up it's your responsibility to pay that forward. Mm -hmm. It's your responsibility to, to recognize if somebody's hurting, if someone's in need. Give them a hug. Yeah, and you can listen. And you have the capacity to do it because you've had so much support your whole life. I, my kids are great. It's it's amazing, and obviously yours will be too Thank you. if you've got that philosophy and that's the uh, and that's the drive. But well, it's it's like um, I'm such a believer. Bad moods are contagious, but so are good ones. Yeah, hundred percent. Oh, and I mean, with mental health, it's it's a difficult it's a difficult road to travel because you can't, especially um, postpartum depression is a real thing, and you're it is. you're mourning your loss of this amazing life you had. Yeah, I definitely think that was one of the harder points. Was the morning of the freedom of my previous, of my old life. Even it was as simple as going to the grocery store to buy something without all the fanfare of packing up a bucket seat. Eating a little snack without somebody's little hand grabbing some of it and creating. Yeah. Even the coffee. Coffee can be a nightmare. You're trying to just keep this hot drink away from these little curious hands that are they're, they're looking for for the thing that's going to get your attention. And as they're reaching at that cop, you're like, no, don't even think about it. You really do mourn for the person you were, even though you love who you've become more. Yeah, yeah. that's parenting 101. Like, and no one could tell you that. No. That's the thing. There's no person in the world that's going to say, like, what kind of jerky person would be like, oh, you're going to... Have a funeral for yeah, yourself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that's almost a good idea. Like, that's almost a good business plan. It's like to have a funeral home yeah. for the parents to go be like, what are we getting ourselves into here? Be like, yeah. But, it's like we have this whole organization that does bachelorette and bachelor parties <laughs> exactly. because right. your life is going to change. Yeah, right, right. But there is no... Mumchlet, mumchler party, bachelor party, bachelor yeah, party, bachelor <laughs> works. Mumchlet doesn't. Mumchlet party, yeah, no, that <laughs> doesn't <wrong>. rub. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true, right? Like, in but then you navigate it, and everybody navigates it differently. But uh, I think one of the things that's cool uh, uh, about 
this big sharing of information that's going on with the technology being so connected is that, you know, doctors are starting to prescribe nature, mm-hmm. right? Like, here's your prescription. Go to sunshine and just walk around Yeah, two days a week. And if it's not working, come back and see me. We'll do other stuff. But before we're doing chemical interventions, before we're doing big, heavy, heady, you know, therapy and life-changing um, strategies. Like, well, get we, as, we as humans, we're, we're animals, we're creatures. We, mm-hmm. we are herd animals. We need to be with people who see us and we need to be seen and we need to be outside. We need to see the air, smell the fresh air. We need to see the sun. We need to yeah. see the mountains, plant our feet firmly on ground and, I think that's how we feel alive. Yeah. Top of Standish. Is that where the uh, sunshine yeah, sign is? Yeah, with the monarch in the background. It really does not matter who's up there. Age, demographic, part of the world they're from. There is a sense of shared joy when you're around that sign. Not to get in. This is not a religious podcast. I am not a religious person. Yeah, me neither. But way. I do remember... Yeah. Earlier this winter, I was at the top of Standish, and this older gentleman looks at me and he goes, I was born an atheist, but God, does a place like this make you believe in God? Oh, yeah. That's it. That's absolutely the top. I think it, it sh- it's that what you were just talking about, that humans are herd animals. It's like when you're up there in that group, whoever it happens to be at that time, there's a lot of shared laughter, smiles, um, you know, wonder, curiosity, wonder, yeah, yeah, and like hope for the future. Like it's you, you can get in your bubble. You can get pretty deep down in these rabbit holes of videos totally. and and sitting in your in your house and not wanting to go out. Which brings up one of our bigger challenges is being within the national park system of Canada. We've got we face huge restrictions to our operation, our growth, our strategy. And I think it's really fictitious and it's not necessarily big picture because in my lifetime, Canada has grown has grown astronomically. We just hit 40 million people. When I was seven years old, Calgary was less than 700,000 people, yet Banff did 3.8 million visitors to the area per annum. Wow. Now, 30 years later, Calgary is over 1.4 million people, yet Banff is only doing 4 million visitors per annum. So that growth isn't, it doesn't equate. And I worry and I wonder if the restrictions placed on us by the government force the gentrification of our sport, force us to, to eliminate other areas of customers no matter how hard we try to protect mm, them interesting. because we don't have room and it will naturally progress in a way that those that have money will pay to get to the mountains easier will pay to stay in the hotels easier will pay to experience it and i don't think that's fair i do think our national parks are for everyone yeah and that we need to have growth and the opportunity to grow and develop responsibly so that we can make sure that all are able to access it that's a really, really in- interesting thought. Yeah. Especially those numbers are, are kind of scary, right? I know in children's sports, soccer, baseball, basketball, 
hockey, the registration numbers are way down because kids are on their phones. Latchkey kids are more common. And it's tough for parents to get out there. These are expensive sports. And you can kind of only pick one. And you can't deny the benefit sport has on a child. No, Think back to your life. Most of my foundational memories occurred before I was 12. Yeah. Yeah. And they're painted in technicolor forever ingrained in my memory. And they, they are the foundation of who I am as an adult. And I want, like, children need to be children. They need to play with other children. They need to run. They need to ski. They need to breathe yep. mountain air, in my opinion. Oh, 100%. They need, to, they need to see natural places so they can see what they're responsible to protect. Right? Think, that's that's why thing. I care about yeah. the environment, because yeah. I ski and snowboard. Right, right. If yeah. I didn't, I don't know if I would, if I would be as environmentally cautious. Yeah, I agree, I agree with you totally. Growing up in, in a time where it was like normal to just run around outside, <laughs> right? Like go in a forest and, and run around. And see the elk. Climb a tree, do a thing. Like it's, yeah, we're getting more regimented with our kids where it's like they're in school, then they're in an after school program. And we're trying to keep them from going the video game route because video games are so good at catering to their innate needs and their innate needs are to develop a skill that they feel they're getting Mm. better at. They can see like, Hey, I'm going up a level. Hey, I just got another level. That's like a a really, that creates obsession with like, yeah, let's do that community of friends and now that video games are online they're talking with their cousins their buddies people from all around the world they've got a community of friends um and the freedom to do whatever you want so they can put on a rabbit skin they can be a a monster or or, uh you know a boy or a girl or whatever kind of character they want to be in these video games video games cater to their needs perfectly and then we try and get them into... And they're also behaved and quiet while playing video games. Isn't that crazy? Right, yeah. right. Because they're really content. But the same thing could be said about outdoor play. Oh, totally. And I never played video games, really. Like, I think I maybe... I I have really bad... Um, I get vertigo and I get motion sickness really badly. And yep. so, like, even playing James Bond... What was it? License to Kill? That yeah, game that yeah, was big. Yeah, yeah, it was like awesome. I would get dizzy playing it. So I've never. Yeah, because it's the movement is crazy, right? Right. And I, I can't do like I can't do any of it. I, I get sick. So I've never really understood or played with it. And plus, you had access to such had access great to... outdoor stuff, like unbelievable, unbelievable terrain. But my brothers played video games and do and. Interesting. I never thought about that. That the video game does give you all this validation of who you are you and it gives you a network and the baby out with a bathwater yeah. with video games it's actually but how do you take that virtual world and marry it into the real world because i do think sports allows you to marry in yeah. beautifully sports is great sports is a good one i remember my son was being fairly aggressive he was having a lot of like lashing out and it was mostly around transitioning out of playing video games hmm. Right? Like, it was like, okay, you've got, like, 15 more minutes. And he'd be like, 
but I'm trying to beat this thing, you know? He's frustrated. He was super frustrated. And so, like, and then I'm like, don't you throw that remote or there's no video games tomorrow, which would make him just more frustrated. There was, like, a boiling over and it wasn't working. And we went out in the forest and I was like, you know, I'm not going to scold him about video games. Like, I love them too. They're fine. Um, but I grabbed a stick and it said, here, you know, hit my stick with that, you know? And he t- took out his frustration, was just smashing stuff. I'm like, you can smash anything you see here as long as it's not like living creatures, habitat yeah. type thing. And after five or 10 minutes, we were laughing and, you know, play sword fighting and running around. It's And it was like a video game. It was like the same thing he was doing in the video game he was doing out in the real world. And then he was ready to talk. Then he was like, I get so frustrated. These games are predatory on that. You know, my friend is at level 88 and I'm at level 66, but he gets money from his parents so that he can have all the cheats. He can have all the best weapons. He can have, you know, he can get further. It's not fair. And I'm like, yeah, life is not going to be fair. No. It's just not. But out here, you know, living real life is important. You need a balance. I think that's what it comes down to. You do need a balance. But you need a balance that you can regulate inside of yourself, not when your dad's not there. No. You play video games for all But life isn't fair. There's nothing fair, equitable about it. I hated that when I was a kid. It's up to us to... It's up to us to be respectful and courteous with the privilege that we are gifted and share when we can and pass on that, pass on that gift because the more we appreciate what we have, the more we can share it with others, I believe. I agree with you. I think we're getting to a point where the idea that I was saying before about you get more stuff, you're more happy is being exposed as that's just not what it is. Um, The philosophy of the original indigenous people of Canada and North America for that matter was the responsibility for nature. We're the newest addition in the animal kingdom to the table. And you want to be a good guest. You want to be respectful and have manners and, really appreciate what's put on a table if mm-hmm. it, as opposed to being greedy and grabbing everything and being like, this is mine. This is, I'm taking this for, for me. And I there's think enough for everyone. There's enough for everyone. And we're seeing land. Just like there's always powder that you'll find. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is, yeah. I mean, you could see the gimme gimme in the powder day, the people that are stacking up that feel like, Hey, I've been, I got I got to the parking lot two and a half hours. There's enough ago. for everyone, <laughs> but there is enough. As for long everyone. as you know where to look. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, is sunshine on some unceded territory or some heritage? Bam National Park is situated within the traditional present day territories of Treaty Six, Seven, and Eight, oh, wow. as well as the Métis Nations. So it's right at that crux of Six, Seven, and Eight. The treaty. The Bam National Park is it's yeah right in the middle of mm-hmm. it. Yeah, yeah. And so, are, have you guys moved more in the direction of 
you know, acknowledging treaty rights and all that kind of stuff? Like We are working on it. We we recognize the Treaty 6, 7, and 8 as well as the Métis people. We, we have a sign um, that is displayed when you enter our parking lot. Yeah. And we'll do various things as well as we are working with some of the local tribes on ways that we can respectfully share their culture. Mm-hmm. And invite them, and to, invite them to their traditional territories. Yeah, that's, I think seeing that is well, really This summer awesome. we'll have um, indigenous dancers up again and we'll have them come and present some of their cultural, their cultural um, regalia with us. Celebrations and their traditions. It's cool. I feel it's moving in the right direction finally. Not that yeah, I, I didn't notice it before because yeah. it was so under this, you know, bulldozing system that we grew up in, right? Mm-hmm. Like the public school system is just churning out people that are like, you know, uneducated in the ways of what happened. But now it's with this information sharing, it's coming out. We need and, to share information. Yeah. That's the only way we get smarter as a culture. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you guys are having. You know, integration with the community. I love it. That no, and I'm awesome. I'm so not a believer in hoarding knowledge. Right. Hoarding knowledge doesn't make you smarter. No, it makes you weaker because it shows that you're incapable of trust. I think anyone in a leadership position, anyone who has a voice or can use their voice, if they know something, share it. Yeah. The more you share it, the more you work to teach others and give them the tools to lift themselves up, the better. <laughs> the more successful you'll be and yeah. all those around you. Yeah. There's power in friendly competition. Yeah, totally. And then that idea of responsibility versus rights. I mean, you grew up in it, right? I'm sure that your family looking at um, the responsibility of, of sunshine is like, you're not building giant condos everywhere. You're no, not we, putting up billboards for, you know, we, we don't want consumer to. goods. Right. My grandfather with New West, he was quoted and he was famous for saying, my purpose is to serve community. Everything else will follow through. And after he died, my grandmother committed, um, it was financial struggles in Alberta. There was the new economic policy. People were walking away from mortgages. And he had promised $10 million to the University of Calgary for a business school. And she followed through with it despite the restraints on her financial, on her financial position. And she did, she would say, Kendra, you honor your commitments and you focus on building and giving back to community when you can. That's amazing. And I think we all need to get out of this mindset that resources aren't limited. Their scarcity is a myth. Yes, of course, there is some version of scarcity, but all of us have enough of what we need. And the more we work together, the more resources we'll have, the more we can do, the more good we can inspire. And it would be really focused on how can we grow the pie? How can we grow more skiers and snowboarders? How can we share our love and bring people to the mountain as opposed to fighting over who gets what scan? Right, right. Wow. See, that I love that. You're very passionate about it. Yeah. It comes out. Thank you. I think I'm, I'm excited that we're working together to get Me you too. as a podcaster, because I think your voice is great. And I think that um, you're going to share with the world, you know, the talent and the people that are coming to Sunshine and the experience that they're having to just exactly what you're talking about by sharing it 
the people that that listen are going to be like, I want to I want to be a part of this. This is really fun. Thanks, Eric. I'm really excited to work with you and to bring for the love of winter to life. I think that everyone does have their own story and everyone deserves to be seen. And we're very lucky that people of all walks of life, artists, musicians, Olympic level athletes to bankers and business tycoons to professional ski bums. Yeah. Find their home away from home on the slopes. Yeah. And we're we're hearing their, their voices is going to be fun. I I think the mountains change you and make them better. That's the tagline. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. All right. We just did an hour and 40 minutes. Oh, wow. F and Rad shout outs this week to Kendra Skirfield, her family, and the entire Sunshine Village crew. Extra special thanks to Carter, whose tech-savvy ways helped make the For the Love of Winter podcast possible. Kendra has so many special guests lined up for you, so be sure and subscribe to get episodes directly into your feed. The Effenrad Snowboard Podcast is presented by Skyview Campers and produced at Effenrad Studios in Vancouver, B.C.